So turn to someone around you and say good morning to them, if you don't mind, for a minute. Those of you that are here on campus, yes, those of you who are joining us from church at home, hey, good morning to you. We're glad that you're here also. Boy, um, we are glad that you're here today. So grab your Bibles, your devices. Today, it's the Gospel of John, chapter 15, for the next few minutes together. Now, here's the thought. It, uh, before we go any further, the thought is that during, um, when I do premarital counseling, I always kind of say this cliche-ish thing to couples that are getting married, and while you're finding John uh, chapter 15, then um, I, this is what I say to them. I say to them, if you want what you once had, then you continue to do what you once did. And, and so what that means is this, if you want what you once had, you continue to do what you once did. So that means that we go through life many times, I think, and we think that what we start doing, especially in relationships, right? What we start doing is like it's the springboard that we start with. But after we somewhat, you know, after we somewhat cultivate that relationship, we don't have to do those things anymore, right? Yes. And so I know I, I equate that to maybe like that of dating in relationships, uh, between men and women, and that is that, hey, you know, when you're, when you're dating uh, someone and, and you go pick up, like from a male aspect, a, a date, you, uh, you don't roll up in the driveway and you don't, like, um, you don't sound the horn and you put the window down and you yell out, hey, if you're going with me, you better come now, right? You don't do that. Why? Because you don't get another date. In fact, you don't even get that date, isn't that? You don't deserve that date, right? That's so, so that is true. Yes, well, there are other things I think that sometimes, you know, your words, you're so gentle and kind, and then all of a sudden you, you land that relationship, and I know that sounds like fishing, doesn't it, right? Like you caught them, and you pulled them in the boat. Well, you land that relationship, and, and all of a sudden, well, then the way you treat that individual begins to change because you saw that behavior before as what you did just to kind of start the relationship. And, and I've thought about that a lot in our lives when it comes to, our relationship with God. And, and I really think it makes a lot of sense in that of how that you and I view the gospel. Because many times what we do is we view the gospel, I think, just as for unbelievers, and we view the gospel just for that moment of our conversion. We, use, we see it as that instrument of conversion within our lives. We do. That, that moment when we come to Christ, theologically, it's called vivification. And so we see the gospel as just that in our lives, and somehow we kind of move beyond that. But what I realize when I look at the gospel, and as we're going to look at the book of John chapter 15 today for a few moments together, is that the gospel is how we grow in Christ. It is. Not only is it the instrument of our salvation and our conversion, but it's also the substance of our sanctification. It is the gospel that causes you and I to grow in Christ. Because in the gospel message is everything necessary for you and I to grow in God. It's all there. Every bit that we need. Yes. So the way that we grow in Christ is that we never grow beyond the gospel. But we just grow deeper into the gospel. We never grow beyond it but we simply grow deeper into it. And for many of you, I think when you think of the gospel message, then, well, you're right in what you're thinking, right? That God looks down and he sees the brokenness of humankind. And way back in the book of Genesis, God makes a promise that in the due time, in due time that God is going to fix everything that's broken with humans. It is. So at that appointed time, what does God do? God sends his son. And he dies for you and I. Well, that's the gospel. So what we realize is clearly 
that is God's choice when it comes to us, not our choice in choosing him. But we realize that it is simply God that chooses us. Anything outside of that kind of thinking is that of it makes it a, a thing of works within our lives and that we deserve this. It is. So we understand that we are saved by grace through faith. And so what we see, I think, as that the gospel is the gospel is the diving board. You know, it's the diving board. And the pool is some other thing that you and I move on in our spiritual life to. Can I tell you that when I understand scripture this morning, that the gospel is both that of the diving board and the pool. Understand that, that it is both for you and I. It's not that it just sets us free from sin, but what the gospel does for my life and your life, that it sets us free from religion. It sets us free from trying to find our own way with God because it brings us back to the reality that we do nothing to deserve this and there is no way to earn this. And it was God's idea to save us from the beginning and it was God that chose us. It really was. So we have not earned anything. So the gospel in our walk with Christ keeps us always on target. That's an important point. The gospel always keeps you and I always on target. So when I think about this topic, this topic that we're going to talk about today, this word secure, we're going to talk about the word secure. Now, here's the thing about the word secure, that we, we started with the word enough and realizing that God is enough in our lives. We moved on to that of that word necessary, that God is the only necessary, the one necessary thing in my life. Yet I remain attentive to all the other things in my life that I'm responsible for. And so what that does, that moves us into this discussion this morning about this thought about security. How do I grasp it? Well, how do I stay secure in my relationship with God? Because I'm struggling with that this morning. How do I do that? And what I realize is that it comes from this firm foundation this firm foundation and understanding of that, of what the gospel is and what it means to you and I. So security in my life and your life is derived from a good understanding of the gospel. It really is. That it's not just the diving board. It's not where I just begin in this relationship with God. But what I realize is this, that it is the substance of my relationship with God. Because anytime I begin to think out of this nature of the gospel, anytime that I begin to move out of the parameters of that of, well, Maybe I can earn this with God, or maybe I deserve this, or maybe even an approach of entitlement with God that, that this is something I deserve from Him. Anytime I move outside of those parameters of the gospel, then that is the fertile ground for insecurity in my life. That's why, see, some of you are sitting here this morning, you say, Mark, I'm really dealing with some insecurity in our relationship with God. Well, have you ever wondered why you're insecure with God? Have you ever wondered, because you begin to make this list of all the things that God has done for you in your life, you begin to make this list of, you know, how blessed you are in life. But why do I feel so really insecure in my relationship with God? It's because that you have moved out of the parameters of the understanding of the gospel. And that is that you're saved by grace through faith. I don't deserve any of this. This is all a powerful gift of God within my life. And that's the brush that I have to paint all of this with. And so when I move out of the gospel... And I think, oh, I'm moving beyond it because that's just a thing that where I came to Christ with. Then it's a fertile ground for insecurity in my relationship with Christ. The Gospel of John gives us some really powerful words in chapter 15. Because here Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. It is a 
a, a, an amazingly intimate conversation. He has just told them in chapter 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, you believe also in me, he said. In my father's house are what? Many mansions. If I would have not told you this, you know, then, and he, then he says to them that I'm going to what? Prepare a place for you. So he gives them all these really intimate things about his relationship with them. And then he comes to chapter 15 and he talks about our security in him. Why? Why? Because he knows you and I. That's why. He knows us so well. He knows how we think. He knows what is the real battleground of my life and your life. He understands that. And not only does he want us to understand these concepts, but he wants you and I to live secure in him. He really does. So he begins with these words in John 15 and verse 1. Here's what he says. I am the true vine. I underline those three words, the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And so I begin to think about this text. It's not just the vine, but the true vine. So what does he mean? You know, why does, first of all, why does Jesus use a metaphor of a vineyard here? I think it's interesting because here we are. We probably don't have a vineyard, do we? Maybe you do. I don't know. And that's wonderful. But most of us just don't have a vineyard hanging out in our backyard. We don't because it's more than a metaphor. Because it takes those that he is speaking to back to the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, the Jewish nation, the Israel people, they're, they're referred to so many times as a vine. But when they're referred to, like in Isaiah and other places, they're referred to as a very, in a very negative sense. They are. They're referred to a wild, they're like a wild vine. In fact, they're referred to as simply a fruitless vine. They're even told in the Old Testament that they produce sour grapes. And I thought that's very interesting, right? Because we've all produced some sour grapes in this room in our life. Can I get an amen? Oh, some of you are thinking that you're just this fine bottle of wine this morning, right? No, you have. You have produced some very sour grapes. We're not necessarily a bunch of really sweet grapes today. No, we're probably relate to more like a bag of Sour Patch Kids, don't we? Yeah, isn't that right? I love those things. Those are my wife's favorite, are they not? She loves those, absolutely. And so, so here is the thing. I think that's the truth about who we are and where we are. And so what he does when I read this verse, what I realize is this. There is the vine. There's Israel. They're the ones that miss the mark all the time. They're the ones that very seldom ever get it right. And then there's the true vine, and that is Christ. And when I begin to think about this contrast, what Jesus was saying to those that day, he was saying to them, hey, you think that the kingdom of God is a nation called Israel. Let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is standing right before you, is what he told them. And man, that sets them on edge especially the Jewish people in, in that group he's talking to, because they've always thought that just because I'm Jewish means that, that I am the kingdom of God. And he says, no, but the kingdom of God is a man to follow, and I'm standing right before you. And he turns everything on edge in their life, because he says, you have failed at the vine, so I have come to be the true vine. It's the gospel. I love this. You have to think about it for a moment. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel, 
that Jesus comes to a people that always get it wrong. That's us, right? Jesus simply comes to those that are producing sour grapes as the true vine. That's all of us. He comes to those of us that simply have tried to get our, work our way to him, and it's not work. That is us. That's exactly what he's saying. That's the gospel, and that's how he starts all of this out, that he steps into the mess of humanity to fix everything. That he's not just a vine, but he's the, he's the true vine. So here's what I think he wants you to understand in this first verse. That without you understanding that he's the true vine, because that is an amazing picture of the gospel for you and I, that that second part, that my father is a vine dresser, then, then what that does, that makes God the father absolutely punitive in our life. Is what that does. Yes. And that's how, that's how a lot of people think about God. That God is just waiting to like bring the hammer down on my life. Right? God is just watching me so I can mess up. And then he can bring judgment upon my life. And so that's the way that they see God. Why? Because anytime you see how God works in your life. Especially as the vine dresser. The one that prunes the branches in the vineyard. Anytime you see him outside of being that true vine. And that of Christ. And that of the gospel, anytime you see it outside of those parameters, then you're always going to see God as being punitive in your life. And that's why the world sees God as some kind of old, bearded, gray-haired tyrant that is simply looking to get even with humanity. And they do. Some of you may not have thought about God to that extent, but you've had those thoughts about God in your life. You really have. And anytime you see him outside of the gospel, then you're going to see him that way. People think that way about him. Now, let me tell you, the father is the vine dresser. And I thought about this a lot. The vine dresser is the one that comes in and he prunes away all the rotten or diseased branches and, and other, other parts of the vine so that the branches stay healthy and, and they grow and they produce fruit. And so I thought, what does a vine dresser do? And I thought, one thing he doesn't do, he, it's not that he's coming into the vineyard and he's coming with these little pair of tweezers, right? And he's looking and he thinks, oh man, I'm just going to get this. Hang on. This will be just kind of painful. This will sting a moment. And, he, and he, it's, like, it's like plucking an eyebrow, right? Isn't that right? Plucking an eyebrow will make the strongest man or woman cry. Isn't that the truth, right? Yes, you have this eyebrow that simply pokes out from the, your head somewhere and it looks like the fishing line off of the end of a pole, right? Yes. And when you talk to people, you see their eye gaze up at it and they look back at you like, you know, and you're trying not to look at it, right? You know what I mean? And so what you do, yeah, you go home, you look in the mirror, you get that, you count. One, you know, it's like having surgery, right? You know it's going to be painful too. But the pain is going to only last a split second and you're going to be good after that. No, it's not that. No. Well, then possibly it's like this. Well, then maybe, maybe the, um, the, the vine dresser, you know, he's going he's gonna to snip off a few branches every once in a while. And that does kind of help me feel better. It, it really is. It's, it, maybe that's his job in, in my life is to just maybe do a little trim here or there, you know, and I'm going to be good. And when I read about the vine dresser, what I realize is that <laughs> he uses something more like this. Yes. <laughs> right. You've been there. Yeah, you've been there, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Can I tell you that looking at God through the lens of the... Oops, my hand slipped up on the blade almost there, and I felt that. Like, wow, 
That would be bad if I started bleeding right up here on the stage, right? And so what I realize is that, that when I look at him through the lens of the gospel, it changes the whole way that I see him when he does and works in this way in my life and when he cuts away things within my life. And, he, and listen, he severs them. You know why? Because God values you and loves you so much. He does, that he is not going to leave those things in your life. He's going to sever them. He's going to sever them. And I know that brings up a huge discussion in your life about all these things. I'm going to give you some detail in a moment, so don't go crazy with all this, right? Absolutely. But when I think of the vine dresser, this is what I think. He's serious. He's serious about my life. And if I don't see this, in light of the gospel that I am the true vine, I see all of this as punitive. I see all of this as God getting back at me. I see all of this as God is somehow angry with me, and I fail to see the love of God because I see all of this outside of the character of God. And the only way I really understand the character of God is to have a real good understanding of what the gospel is. It is. So without the gospel without this truth that i am the true vine then the the vine dresser concept makes me extremely insecure it really does right it makes me super insecure about my relationship with god but what i realize that when i couple that with i am the true vine which is the gospel it's the absolute foundation of my security in him because how i see him And how I understand him is everything about my faith. It really is about everything, about how I live this out and how I know God and how I understand how God feels about me. So the gospel in my life is not just the diving board. The gospel is the pool. Here's what he says in verse 2. Get ready. Hang on. Buckle up for this one. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Oh, Mark, that makes us feel really comfortable, right? Because you're already swinging a machete, and now you're talking about this, right? So, And then he says, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Yes. And so now I'm getting anxious about this. And outside of I am the true vine, I understand why you have some anxiety. So who are the branches? Who are the branches? And we have to ask that question, right? Who are the branches? We're the branches. That does not make me feel a whole, a, a whole much more comfortable, right? Especially when there's a machete on the stage. It doesn't make me feel greatly comfortable in all of this. So we're the branches. What is he pruning and why? He's pruning us and he's pruning us because he loves us. Let's pray and go home. I need more than that, right? Yes. Well, I remember when I was growing up, you know, and, and I was I was mischievous. I was. I pushed the limits all the time. That's just the that was me. And and so I remember, you know, I remember that when my dad would discipline me, there would always be the speech before wrath. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's the speech. And, and however you discipline your child, whether you're grounding them and whether you're grounding them to their 35 and some of you, you should have been grounded to your 35, right? You know that. You know that's true. Or, or whether you are extending to them the right hand of fellowship to the seat of understanding. You know what I mean by that, right? Yes, right? You get the speech. What is the speech, Mark? The speech goes like this. I've never used it because it's a lie from hell. But here's the speech, okay? Most of it is the speech is, this hurts me more than it hurts you. No, it don't. 
No. If you think so, get down here and take it for me then, right? Yes. I, I, I never tried that. I, I didn't. I didn't. I, I've, I've tried patting the back of my pants. I've tried putting a, a, a book in there. I've tried all those kinds of things. It made it worse. It really did, yes. But here is the speech. This hurts me more than it hurts you because I'm doing this because I love you. Don't love me as much then, okay, right? Yes, yes. True. And if I left you there, that's the attitude that you have. Yes. Can I tell you, that's no foundation to have with God. You relate what God does in your life. Sometimes it is painful. You relate that. You relate that to those moments, maybe in your childhood, those moments with your parents. And that's what you, you relate all that. To. Can I talk to you for a moment about your insecurity? Because that's important that we talk about this. So let me talk to you about your insecurity. Because for some of you in the room, oh, it's an, it's an insecurity that you struggle with for years. It really is. You struggle with this insecurity for years, and just me talking about it with you even enhances your insecurity, doesn't it? Margot, talk about it. It makes you feel insecure when you talk about my insecurity in life, and I know. And, and so some of you, well, are you, in, are you secure in your relationship with Christ? Are you secure with your salvation? Are you this morning? Yes. Are you living moment to moment just afraid that you're going to produce so many sour grapes in your life that you're going to bankrupt, you're going to bankrupt your your grace account with God. You know, you're going to do that. Is that what you're thinking? Is that how you're living? Is that, is this, you know, can I say some, some of you are white knuckling that relationship with God today. Uh, there, there's some of you in this room that you're so insecure with Christ this morning that you're wondering that when God finds out what you have done in life, that what is he going to do with you as if God doesn't already know? Can I tell you? And that's something I say to you all the time. But I think it's worth repeating for the thousandth time, maybe. Maybe not that much, but hundreds of times with you. That your security in your relationship with God is not dependent upon you and your faithfulness. If it was, we would all in this room be troubled and we're all in trouble and all be hopeless. But that of it's it's dependent upon God's faithfulness in your life. And God is absolutely faithful to you and I. And when I read this text in chapter 2, I think, wait a minute, he's taking away branches. And what I realize, that's much more about my rejection of him than simply that of his rejection of me. Because when I read scripture, what I realize is that I can't escape God's love within my life. That his predisposition toward me is always love and acceptance. That I don't have to earn those things with God. I love that. And, and, and what I realize, he's talking to people like Peter who never get it right. Yes. And week after next, you and I are going to start a series together through the book of First Peter. It's wonderful. So it's written by a guy that's just like us, right? Yes, I love it. So it's amazingly relevant to you and I today. So what's he pruning, Mark, then? What is he pruning in our life? And I think that you and I can make this exhaustive list of all the things that God should be pruning in our lives. We can say, hey, God's, God's pruning unforgiveness. God's pruning the lust out of my life. He's pruning the unfaithfulness and the doubt out of my life. He, he's, he's pruning all of those things, all the debauchery. He's pruning all of those things out of my life. But when you look at this in context, and I'm not negating those things, but when you look at this in context, because it's written in the context of I am the true vine, 
then what I realize here is that God contextually, he's pruning away our insecurity in our relationship with him. Why? Because when we find ourselves secure in God, here is my thought. And boy, I struggle with this week to be able to communicate this so you can take this this concept away. Because when I have this When I have this security in God, not based upon who I am, but based upon the gospel, that I deserve nothing, that everything is given to me by Him, that when I base that security on that, and I am secure in my relationship, that He has already accepted me, and I don't have to work and fight for that acceptance from God. When I live like that, then I am more apt to come to him with all of those other things on my list and surrender those things to him because I realize that God is not going to shun me. God is not going to push me to the side. God is not going to reject me in my life, but God is going to simply work in my life and prune those things away from me. But the first thing that God prunes from my life is my insecurity in my relationship with him. And that happens through and in the light of the gospel. Because some of you, for years, right, you've been bringing all of these things to God, haven't you? You've been bringing all those things in that box to God. And God, here's my lust. And here's my unfaithfulness. And God, here is all the debauchery and the sin of my life. Here's all these things that I've been doing, God, that I think nobody else knows about. And you kind of sheepishly kind of drag yourself before God. Many times you back yourself up before God and you turn around and you kind of hand it off in front of him. And before you know it, you always leave and you grab it and you take it back with you. Why? Why? Because you're so insecure and how God is going to respond to you. That's why you're struggling in that area of surrender within your life. Yes, those things have a hold on your life. Absolutely. I'm not doubting that whatsoever. But the bigger problem that you have today is because you're insecure in your relationship with God and you don't know how he's going to react to you. So the first thing that the wine dresser has to do in my life, he has to shear away, he has to cut away that insecurity in my life. And the only way I find myself secure in God is through that of the gospel. That I see the gospel is this. I see the gospel as not just my way to God, but I see the gospel as my way in God. That every day I wake up and I realize this is all a gift. Man, this is all a gift from God. I don't have to earn it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. This is all a gift from God. And, And so when I look at God that way and I find my rest in Him this morning, that I realize that I'm more apt to come to Him with all the other struggles of life. I hope that makes sense to you. Because I think some of you have wondered, why can't, I, why can't I get free of this? Why can't I just give this to God and walk away? And the reality is, it's because you're insecure with Him. And you don't know what God is going to do with you when you come to Him in complete transparency. Wow. As if something we do in this life is a secret to Him. And it's, and it's absolutely not. So He prunes us. Why does He prune us? Does he prune us so you and I can bear more sour grapes? No. He prunes us so that we can bear fruit. It's Galatians chapter 5. Here's what he said. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And you're always going to struggle with that blank, whatever that thing is in your life, until you learn to lean into Him. That is it. And learn, you, and learn when you learn to resign your self-reliance and realize that only God can take this in my life. Can I tell you, that today that's more than just you coming up here after service and talking to a staff member and we pray for you. And I think that's important. I really do. I think many times in our life, and God could do this instantaneously in our life, and we leave, oh, the most, I'm, 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 I'm the most secure person in my relationship with God. And, and, you, you know, and, and that can happen. But for me, for me, it's taken me years to come to this concept. It's taken me years to, to understand this. So, so here's what I say to you, perhaps one of the most profound things today that you may hear in this sermon, our spiritual journey much more resembles a crock pot than it does a microwave. Did you know that? It does, right? Really? Yes. Yes. It does. That I'm definitely the slow cooker. Maybe because I'm hard-headed. I don't know. Whatever it is. But what I realize in talking to people over all these years that I've done ministry is that that's the way most of us come to this understanding that it takes a journey for us. It does. Look at verse 3. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And it's not that he changes metaphors that from that of, you know, cutting to that of bathing here all of a sudden. It's not that. But it's always about that process of cutting those things away from us, simply removing our self-reliance and our pride so that we can come to God with all of those other issues of our lives. Martin Luther says this, and it's a very loose quote this morning, but what it says is, the word is a lot of the cleaning in our life, but some things can only be removed by suffering. So when I realized this, when when the vine dresser, he comes into the vineyard, it's not that he's just whacking away everything and cutting away everything that he sees. It's not that at all. But he always cuts to the heart of things. He always goes to the things that need to be removed to the very heart of things. That's why this is truly about our security in Him and how we see Him because that's at the heart of what we do. That's at the heart of how you and I live out our faith. That's at the heart of how you and I come and we surrender those things to God that we should be surrendering to God because we find ourselves secure in the gospel. I love that, that He's the true vine. I am a branch. I I realize that. And because of that, that I don't have to fake it trying to be the, the vine anymore. I don't have to fake any of those kinds of things anymore. That's not it at all. Because God has this in my life. And he prunes me while I'm still part of the vine. Listen, this week, I don't have any questions for you to ask each other. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad of that? You don't turn to your neighbor and say, ask your neighbor this. or say, no, I don't. I don't, yes. Uh, would, would it be a great time, would it be an awesome time right now for me to say, hey, turn to your neighbor and tell them one thing that God needs to prune from your life. Wouldn't that be crazy, right? Yes. Wouldn't that make you super uncomfortable, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Listen, here's the point. For some of you, you're just as uncomfortable about that with God. You really are. Because you're not sure how he reacts to that. Look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he said. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is like it is 
that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and they're burned. Again, much more about my rejection of God than his of you. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for me. And I thought about abiding in Christ. And I think sometimes we think that's just a list of behavior, Christian behavior for us. And when I looked at the word abide, what it means is that we find a home in, that we live in. And then I thought, this is why we struggle with this so much. It really is. Because we're not going to want to have a bunch of people in our house that have constantly failed us and lied about us and misused us and all those kinds of things. We're not going to want them to be our guests in our home for an extended period of time. Absolutely not. That's not who we want to come over. And so we kind of simply look at God in the same way because our track record, that there's no way I can do that. But we do that in Christ is what he's saying. We're resting in his thoughts about us. Yes. That's it. What does he think about us? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chooses us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, blameless before him in love. That God loves us intentionally. That God doesn't love us as a reaction to our sin. That God loves us before the world was even formed. He made a decision to love you and I. So God loves us intentionally. He says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, and we tie everything together with these last few verses, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, he says. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 11, last verse. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And so when I read this, I realized that two things that stick out really big to me. One, he's talking about obedience. And then secondly, he's talking about joy. And when I read that, I formulated this question. And this question is simply this. It says, what comes first, my obedience to Jesus or my joy in Jesus? Which one of them comes first in my life? You know? Yes. And I thought, that's something I have to answer. Because I won't change in my life. I really want to change. So I have to answer that. What comes first, my obedience in Christ or that of my joy in Him? And I begin to think. If my obedience comes first, and that's follow my, my joy in Christ, then have I not made that obedience into works in my life? And so does it mean that I'm working my way toward joy in God? And if I'm working my way toward that in God, well, isn't that the fertile ground of insecurity that's got me where I am now? It's a thought. Because as I've grown up in church and maybe this is your first time and you kind of walked in today because you're just here, it's a Sunday morning. I think we've all sort of heard this over our lives that, and especially in church, that if you just stop doing all these things that you're doing, 
then you're going to have some joy in the life. You just stop all those things that you're doing out there, then, then you're going to have joy, and that's what's going to create joy. And, and I've heard that. That's been said to me before. Can I tell you something? That's not true. It's not true at all. Because some of you have tried hard for behavioral change. And you're not doing some things you used to do, right? And it's made you the most miserable person on the planet, right? Yeah. You're grumpy. You're grouchy. Your family wants to trade you in for a new model. Isn't that true? Yes. Yeah. Because you've tried to stop doing those things and thinking that at some point, if I try hard enough and I do it long enough, then that's going to lead to joy in my life. And what I realize is that what brings joy in my life is that when I turn my eyes upon Christ, when I, when I gaze at His amazing, unexplainable grace, when I am the recipient of His lavish love, when I take a moment just to shut everything else out of my life, and I sit in what he thinks about me because he's the true vine who loved me from the very foundation before the foundation of the worlds. Then what I realize is this. That my obedience in Christ is a product of my joy in him. And my joy is derived when I gaze upon His wonder, when I look at Him, when I take a moment to remind myself that the gospel is more than a diving board where I start out in my relation, but the gospel is the pool itself. That I never grow out of the gospel, but I grow deeper into the gospel. That it never gets old for me to remind myself daily that I deserve none of this. That I can't work to gain any of this. That I didn't even choose Him when, when I was saved. He chose me. And when I take a moment in my life to sit in that, what I realize is this, that I am absolutely secure in Him. And when He gives me that security that I find in that understanding of the gospel, then and only then am I going to simply find that joy in Him. And when I find that joy in Him, then I'm going to come to Him as my Father and I'm going to give Him those things in my life because I know that I've already been accepted. I'm His. He's not going to reject me. So stop saying those things in your life like, oh, I hope someday that maybe when I die that my heart is right. Stop it. Stop. Mark, you angry with us? No, I'm just saying that with emphasis, okay? Stop. You are accepted by Him. Loved by Him. 
He already knows what's in your box that you're going to bring to him. So you bring it in the security that you find in light of the gospel. And then you have joy in your life. You have joy in your life. Today is a day that I truly believe that God wants to set you free. Because I think the the greatest battle in my life and your life is not to change our behavior. No. Because you can make some adjustments in your life. But I think the greatest battle in my life and the greatest battle in your life is that I turn my eyes upon Christ and the wonder of His love for me. So I think it's a moment that you should deal with the insecurities of your life. To deal with the big one today. And that is your your security in Christ. So for a moment, would you bow your heads with me for a moment, please? For those of you that are watching through church at home today, that you'd quieten the kids down and sort of focus with us for a moment. And let's pray together. Cut out all the distractions. And let's focus on him for a moment. Father, here we sit as your children and you know us. Thank God we've established today that nothing is hid from you and your loving gaze upon our lives. And Father, we realize today that that you are the true, God, you're the true vine. That you stepped into the very mess of our lives when we could and still very seldom get it right. Could not and still very seldom get it right. We also realize, God, that you are the vine dresser. And without that first statement, God, that second brings great fear to our lives. But yet we realize that you come in your very loving, knowing way in our lives. And you cut away the insecurity of our lives in the light of the power of your gospel for us. Father, today set us free from our fear of you. Set us free from our uncertainty of you, Father. By shining the truth of the gospel into our lives like never before. Free us today of our our reluctancy, God, to be transparent with you even though that you know everything about us, free us from that, God, by the power of your gospel so that we will freely bring those struggles of our life to you. Jesus, you carried our shame on the cross. You put it to death so that When we come to you, we would not come to you in shame, but we would come to you in security in that who you are 
and who we are in you. So God, we bring our fear, we bring our reluctancy today. God, we bring the uncertainty of our lives. And we expose those things to the power of the truth of the gospel. Which prunes those things away from us. And we find ourselves secure in you. And in that security, we find great joy. And through that joy... God, we serve you out of love and no longer out of fear. So, Father, don't let this be words that we have heard today. God, let this be life to us this morning. And do your work in our hearts and our lives. We thank you that today... We are secure in you, not because of what we've done, but because of the power of the gospel in our lives. And we give you thanks. In your name we pray.